Monday afternoon reading meeting.
we got down to verse 2. <laughs> Maybe we'll read to the end of verse 12, because I think if we make it to there, we'll be doing good. <laughs> First Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, and to obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith of the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed, and not unto themselves, but unto us that administered the things, which are now reported unto you by them, that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Well, we had the subject of <clears throat> grace a little before us this morning at the end of verse 2. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. <clears throat> I see in verse 3 that we have mercy, his abundant mercy. Grace and mercy. They're both wonderful things. And uh, I'm joy of thought on the, on the difference of those two. Now we had uh, Brother mentioned this morning, great unmerited favor. So God giving us all kinds of good things that we don't deserve. Mercy, you can think of it the opposite direction, is God not giving us the punishment that we do deserve. Brother uh, John Stevens, quite often, if we go to uh, the epistle of Jude, verse 21, Jude 21, I'll ask the brother to read uh, that portion here in Jude 21, um, just verse 21, the end of it. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of eternal life. Looking for the mercy. From uh, last night's gospel, even though we are children of God, we still, uh, how would I put it, we still sin. So we still need the mercy. <laughs> We're not perfect, obedient child, even though we are children of God. 
We were waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's what we're, our hope. I have a little note beside it. It must have been taken in a previous conference there. It's number four, the hope. Well, I've enjoyed that in connection with the 21st verse. You know that it's going to be a mercy when it comes. Yeah. The hope. And it tells here, I'm eternal. That, that's our, what a mercy. When you think of the condition of things and the days of Jews. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, please. It's going to be a mercy because we're not going to get what we deserve. We're going to get something better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we see what that abundant mercy has done. Begotten us again a new life unto a, that's a, a living hope. Okay, the right word is a living hope. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. So there's a new life, there's a living hope, and there's an inheritance coming. Keeping that in the context of Jewish believers with their background, their Old Testament background, it makes a considerable contrast. A new life, they, uh, this is something completely new which they didn't have as, a, as an earthly people. A living hope. Well, as Jews they lost all hope. Now the Jewish believer, <coughs> they crucified their Messiah and everything centered in him. But now they have a, a living hope. And to an inheritance, again, Israel lost their inheritance. They wrecked it, they spoiled it, they lost it. But now they're going to have another one and a better one. A one that it won't be corrupted, it can't be defiled, it won't fade away. Better than that, it's not in Canaan, it's in heaven. Can't buy God. Can't buy God. Verse our brother turned us to in Jude 21, it started out by saying, keep yourselves. That's precious too because it says keep yourself in the love of God. And we used to have a little the story about the little girl with the you know that had the flower that kept putting it in the sunshine as the shade came, you know. And keeping yourself but better still, and I and I referred to this yesterday and I'm always grateful that God is able to keep us. Jews keeping yourself in the love of God, but keep ourselves in the path. Thank God. He's the one that has the power that through faith we can go on in salvation in the future. We need that. It says uh, who are kept by the power of God. And then it says through faith. Why is faith needed if we're kept by the power of God? Nothing, and I'm referring back to Romans 8, nothing can, can sort of separate us from the love of God. And he goes through a list that God keeps us. Yeah. But also, don't you think that our enjoyment, it's through faith that 
but we can enjoy that keeping power. Okay, enjoy it, yeah. It, it's not just to make it happen. No, okay. Yeah. You realize that you got reservations in heaven? Through God's doing. <laughs> well, so it says here, they thought away reserved in heaven for you. We've got reservations in heaven. Which verse is that now? Oh, that's the end of verse not four. Oh, yeah, you okay. We've got a living hope in heaven, and it's reserved. It's sort of comforting when you come to a hotel and, uh, and you know, be able to know that there's a reservation. It's not going to be, sorry. We have a reservation. It's like, you know, our name is there. It's ours. Yeah. And I wonder if anybody's up there looking around and saying, I wonder when Norm's going to arrive. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> yeah. When you think of the reality of these things, it's, it's it's really touching, isn't it? I think that, you know, in order to have an inheritance, somebody has to die. And uh, praise God. As a matter of fact, I remember a story one time that uh, there was a chap that was, he was a Christian, he was giving this as an illustration, but he said uh, the, uh, uh, that uh, he had been uh, his name had been given in a will, you know, in order to uh, have an inheritance that was owed to him. But uh, unfortunately, there was some rather devious things done, and he didn't get the inheritance. You know, and, he's, and of course, he said, you know, if my friend was alive, he made sure I'd get it. But he was dead. But isn't that precious? You know, the one we have, he's not only died, but he is alive again to make sure we get it. That's why it's a living hope, too. Right? <laughs> exactly. <He's alive>. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to get cheated. Because the one that died so that I could have this is alive to make sure I get it. Yeah. We've got resurre the resurrection in this passage. I a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Normally he'd say he's got a living hope because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm getting it because of the life. He died and lives again. Hmm. Yeah. Fadeth not away. So the inheritance is reserved in heaven. And we are kept down here. As we heard, the Lord died to gain us, get us the inheritance, and He lives to make sure we get it. But in uh, temporal inheritances down here, well, yes, they can be lost. Somebody came to the Lord Jesus and said, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. The brother is taking it all, not giving him in. And so that's one problem. <coughs> As Norman said, well, for someone, you know, 
an inheritance is when somebody dies, and then you get, if you're on the will, you get your inheritance. But what happens if, suppose you have a rich uncle, and he's left you his fortune in his will, but suppose you die before your uncle? You won't get your inheritance. Hopefully he's a Christian who will get his heavenly inheritance. <laughs> <laughs> so this here is guaranteed everywhere. It can't go wrong. Because <laughs> it's the power of God that is in it. No wonder we, no wonder we can greatly rejoice. Yeah. I've also heard of inheritances. Somebody inherits somebody else's debts. <laughs> That's not so nice. Oh, Lord, did that. Lord did that for me. <laughs> you inherited your debt? Yeah. <laughs> he paid it all. <laughs> what does our inheritance consist of? It'll be exciting to find out. <laughs> I said, you know, I, I, uh, I, I was sort of thinking of something will will there be different inheritance? In other words, will different people re- inherit different? You know, when you stop and think of the talents and the and, 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 uh, and the talents and so on, uh, then maybe you know you might inherit much more than I will. Is the inheritance dependent upon the faithfulness of the walk or anything like that? what we've done for the Lord. I, I, I'm just suggesting that I haven't thought it through. <laughs> well, how about this? <clears throat> if children then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. <laughs> you say, what's the inheritance? Well, what is Christ's inheritance? That much. <laughs> right? I like that. <laughs> <laughs> And he's the heir of all of them. Quite amazing. He's got no debts. (laughs) (laughs) When we go to be with the Lord, we're his bride. And the bride and the groom are one, so we own everything that belongs to the bride. (coughs) Right now, be with him, it'll be, uh, it'll happen. Sounds like the best place to live. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is it a reference to the kingdom period, or is it, you think of going near Christ, you think of the kingdom period? That's the first part of what you said there. Is that a reference to the kingdom no. Yeah. And then you said. Because when you think of joint heirs with Christ, oh yeah, it makes you think of his kingdom. Oh yeah. I see. Yeah. And so, if it was reference to the kingdom, there may be different different inheritances in that sense. Yeah. Different responsibilities we may have. In other words, uh, we're uh, we're looking at reigning. Well, speaking of the kingdom, 
God said to his son, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not. Okay. I was supervised for a few years and I didn't like that. Supervised the heathens. <laughs> 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 if he hadn't given the uttermost part of the earth, then he wouldn't have had me. <laughs> well, the happy thought is that the the Lord never gives you a, a task, but what He gives you the dynamic to do it. You know. So as we sit here in this little hall in Rockway here this afternoon, as believers, nobody as far as this world is concerned, and that's okay, but by faith, in the truth of this book, every one of us has an inheritance in heaven. And you can't value that in any human terms, monetary terms. And we are all rich. <laughs> Not down here, but rich in glory. We just wait to be taken where the inheritance is. Now, speaking of grace, this is grace to have an inheritance incorruptible that have us this wealth, this wealth in heaven as an inheritance just waiting for us there. That's grace. That's why it says in the beginning of verse 6, wherein we greatly rejoice. We have much to rejoice when we... But you see the but? Yeah, I know, I saw the button. <laughs> <laughs> right. But we do rejoice. <laughs> we rejoice. So now for a season, if we are in heaviness through manifold temptation. Apostle Paul does say in Romans, and I think it's chapter 8 again, we cannot compare the glory to come with the light tribulation, the leja tribulation we go through. The Apostle went through a lot of uh, tribulation from his own people, from the Jews. He was trying to convince still considers, considers them light tribulation compared to the glory, which it is. There's a dimension to this which I don't think we really can relate to. And that is that these people, these believers, Jewish believers that Peter's writing to, at the time of they received this letter, they were suffering persecution. Look at chapter 4. And verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Well, that is something I know nothing about. But those who are in it, that's a whole new light on what we 
we've just been reading. It gives it much more meaning. Paul says, I've suffered the loss of all things. Well, if you suffered the loss of all things, it's pretty nice to know you have an inheritance in heaven <laughs> that can be lost. But in that sixth verse, <clears throat> there are two things that can be very comforting. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now, for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. Okay? For a season. For a season. Which means that the trial, the temptation, is measured. It's for a season. The season begins and ends. It's a measured length of time. And these things are for a season. Now, they were suffering persecution, but of course we all have our, our trials and temptations and sorrows and on. <coughs> but it's for a season, no matter what it may be. It has a, a beginning and an end. And the next thing is, if need be, if need be, it's only if we need it. And the world says, I didn't need this, I don't deserve this. <laughs> if need be. The needs aren't restricted to the individual. That's not a nice thing to see. He doesn't say, in case you need it, you'll be in heaviness. But if, if there's a need, and you wrote a paper years ago, the need be a trial. Or you, I believe. But uh, but there's throughout the Gospels you find different instances where the Lord had him when they come to him in John nine and say who did sin this man or his parents like somebody must have done something here because he's blind then. but that wasn't Lord there's no you don't understand it's just that the works of God can, the need there wasn't because somebody you needed correction it was so that God could be could be glorified in it. and so that is sometimes a reason and same with, uh, with Lazarus, right? I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. And you think, well, how can the Lord be glad that Lazarus died? It doesn't seem within his character, and yet it is, to the intent that you may believe. He knew it was needed for them to believe. Even if it required Lazarus, Lazarus didn't do anything. Well, he did do something worthy of death. He was a sinner, but that's not why he died at that time. That was the next time. But... <laughs> There is a need be beyond maybe an individual need. It might be, but there's. Poor Lazarus who died twice. The things that we're speaking of: trials, difficulties, sorrows, things that one goes through that are actually contrary to nature, as it were, our feelings. What we're, what we're finding here, especially go on to the next verse, you find that they're proving faith is what the scripture says, and it's more precious than silver and gold. And yet, what strikes me, especially, I mean, he's addressing believers, but how many unbelievers have turned atheistic because I think if God is a loving God, 
And then see if he is an all powerful God. Why is there suffering? You find that it's prevalent. And what we're learning here is the fact that if we go on in that seventh verse, we find that it's to the honor and the glory that is involved in this. And, you know, it is not easy to go through some of these things. And as we get on in years, I know. You know but I, I read, you know, the, the people we know, like Annie Johnson Shedd or somebody like that, and you know, and what they have gone through, and, and yet to see the way that they honor God, and, you know, He giveth more grace, and you know, the way gets harder, and so on, you know. To think of the way the Lord is honored, and what kind of a uh, portion will be such a and individuals, when, when they get there, to be able to take these things from the Lord, for the Lord, in His glory. And uh, so, you know, these things are, are very practical, too. Yeah. Very. The trial of your faith, or the proving of your faith. And uh, how... He says it's much more precious than silver and gold. You know? I'm just wondering, you know, is that better than winning the lottery? Yeah. It's amazing. Well, the trial of your faith being much more precious than the gold that perisheth. What is more precious? What is it is more precious than gold? Is it the trial or is it the faith? The question is what more is more precious? Not what is more precious. What he says this is more precious. What which what is what is it's more precious? The trial or the faith? The faith has to be tried. Just like gold, the fire. So it's faith then. It's tried through the fire. So that faith is more precious than gold. I've puzzled on that a long time. And that's the conclusion I come to. Our faith is more precious than gold. But it has to be purified, you see. That's, uh, in that, those days, that's how they purified the gold. Put it through the fire and heat it. And that would bring the impurities up. I understand that and so our faith is like gold. But it, there are things in it mixed up there that don't belong, impurities, foreign, foreign objects. And so the fire it has to be heated to purify. And uh, that's the trial. But then when the gold comes out at the end, <coughs> praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Peter, always looks sort of at the man's responsibility side of things. So you have, I think, reference here to 1 Corinthians 3. Maybe maybe it doesn't, but I think you have that trial by fire. This isn't before the coming, 
before the appearing. And so, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, there will be a certain review on some things that maybe we thought were good. We'll find out what up in smoke. <laughs> The wood, hay, and stubble. <laughs> and so, the glory is at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And he comes up to set up his kingdom. So there's a little span of time where there are still things, details being worked out. That faith will be the full result, I guess. The completed result will be there. The philosophy that he that hath begun a good work and you shall perform it until the day of Christ. Not until the coming, until the day of Christ. There is a, on the side of responsibility, there will be a review, and it's precious what's left at the end, if there's that which is the his glory. That's nice. Our brother Robert behind me here once brought up that Mrs. Darby said the Lord has much more to do in us than by us. <laughs> and I think we'll all attest to that. It's so true. There's a lot of impurities that need to be uh, <laughs> filtered out, let's say. Like when the Peter, Peter reproved the Lord for speaking that he was going to die. The Lord turned his back to him and said, Behind me, Satan, I think he said. Peter thought he was doing a good thing and you know, telling the Lord, You're not gonna die, you know, you're our hope and everything. And he wasn't in tune with the thought of God. God knew his son had to die. As terrible as it was, he had to die. Well, going on to verse eight. Who having not seen you love. Peter had seen the Lord and he loved him. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Or do you know I love this? Simon, do you love me? <laughs> Three times Peter's getting a little upset. Doesn't it show I love you? <laughs> he had to rely on the Lord's knowledge of things that don't appear. But Peter loved him. We haven't seen him. You love him. Isn't that wonderful? How do you love someone you've never seen? Because we found out he first loved us. <laughs> it all comes back to faith, too. <laughs> Remember a little... Uh, Few lines by uh, Mr. Rudolph. Do I love thee? Thou knowest all. The shame I at thy feet would fall, forgetting my poor love to thee, just satisfied, thou lovest me. <laughs> so you said it's a matter of faith, and that's what we have here, verse 8. <clears throat> Having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing. Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. What is that speaking of, the, the end of your faith? 
faith will turn to sight. Yeah, the French Bible has a note here. <clears throat> the salvation of your souls in contrast with temporal deliverances. You know, often you read in the Old Testament uh, about being saved. But it's not the soul. It's being saved from death, saved from danger, uh, enemy, and so on. It's a temporal deliverance that the psalmist or other is writing about. <clears throat> Here we're talking, not talking about temporal deliverance. It's the soul of uh, this uh, wonderful thing that we've been speaking of. When uh, Peter and John <clears throat> were arrested for preaching and brought before the Jewish council, when Peter speaks up in the power of the Holy Spirit, he said, these are unlearned and ignorant men. Meaning, they didn't have any high formal education. Now, they knew how to read and write. But they were just ordinary fishermen. They weren't uh, college professors. <clears throat> and that unlearned and ignorant fisherman writes verses here, scriptures here, where Levi's father. <laughs> In these few verses, we've seen election. We've seen uh, mercy, we've seen grace, we've seen an inheritance, we've seen the power of God to keep. We've uh, seen uh, trial, heaviness, joy, faith more precious than gold, and a person whom we love though we haven't yet seen. All written by an ordinary fisherman. A few verses in Matthew 9. <clears throat> to the theme of the conference, <clears throat> starting with following the Lord, <clears throat> coming to Him, following Him. And the faith we've just been speaking about In Matthew 9 and verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him. Having not seen the beloved, they, they didn't see him, naturally speaking, but they had faith what they saw in him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. When he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Giving him the titles that he deserved. But believe ye that I am able to do this. He asked them, Did they have confidence in him and what he was able to do? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. <coughs> 
confidence in the Lord. Believe yet I'm able to do this. <coughs> to do things for them. Then at that time, and he's the same today, to be able to do things for us today. But do we have confidence in him? <coughs> trust Him, that He is able to do this, whatever it is. He said, according to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes are open. So that today, in our own lives, it takes a, a little faith that brings salvation <coughs> to us that brings our souls to heaven. But great faith brings heaven down to us and all God's resources. But it's according to your faith. Be it unto you. Do we use the faith that we have in whatever measure it is? We can have a million dollars in our pocket, in our wallet, and sit there and stay in our pocket, stay in our wallet. And that money is of no value to us or anyone else. So that's where it stays. The faith that it gives to us. And whatever measure, are we going to hide it? Or keep it inside. Where are we going to use it? To use that faith, whatever measure it is, in order for the Lord to give him the blessing. He said to them, <clears throat> according to your faith, be unto you. And their eyes were open. It's quite a contrast to what the Lord could not do. <clears throat> Just a few chapters. It's the end of chapter 13. <clears throat> The end of chapter 13. <clears throat> he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Believe ye that I'm able to do this. <clears throat> they said yes. And they had the faith. And they got the blessing. Here the Lord was not able to do mighty works there because of their unbelief. Not because he lacked the power or the desire or the love to do the mighty works. It was their unbelief. Believe ye that I'm able to do this according to your faith. Be it unto you. This world that we're living in is eroding 
and trying to take away from any confidence and trust and faith that we can have in His Word and in Him. And it's to us as well as to these ones who are blind, believing that I'm able to do this. Someone of great faith has written, I'm sure we all know it or have heard it, uh, it remains to be seen what God can do in the, with a life that is totally devoted to Him or consecrated to Him. We've heard some have quoted it before. It remains to be seen what God can do <coughs> in a life that is only devoted or consecrated to Him. And that He has a willing heart. In 212. 212. So I was thinking the seventh verse kind of sums up. It goes from strangers here to himself our treasure. That covers what we had in Peter. Thank you. 